All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you on this very snowy day here in New York City. Uh, It is March 14th, 2017, and it marks the eighth year of this radio show. So I do want to thank each of you for listening and and making this show a success. I encourage you also to keep your questions and comments, uh, criticisms and praises coming along to uh, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number for taylor at gmail.com. And I would like to invite you also to follow me on Twitter. Uh, J. Taylor Media is my Twitter handle. So um, we'd also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Without them, there would be no show. Dinosert, Inc., uh, Golden Predator, Chilean Metals, Arvista Gold Corp., Novo Resources, Uranium Energy Corp., and RN Resources are our sponsors for today's show. I've titled today's show, uh, Doug Casey, Comparing the 1930s and Today. And Doug Casey, uh, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver is with me and will be speaking to us just momentarily. Those are our guests today. You know, generals uh, commonly fight a war only to find out that as times change, applying past strategies really don't work very well. In fact, can result in a disaster because times change and technologies change, etc. In the U.S., financial generals at the Fed and the Treasury focus uh, policy on avoiding the deflationary depression of the 1930s. Well, make no mistake, we are heading into a depression, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say. But in fact, some guests on this show, like John Williams and others, believe that we've never really in any meaningful way recovered from the 2008-2009 Greater Recession. In any event, the Fed has fought that battle, the battle of the last battle, the 1930s battle, and even doing so more aggressively than it ever did in the 1930s. In fact, never acknowledged that the 1930s policies were a failure only believed that they didn't do enough. So this time, by golly, they're going to do more than they ever did before to make sure that they have enough stimulus out there to make the thing work. But the big question we're going to talk to Doug about is, was the Fed right to worry about a deflationary depression? Or might we be faced with a hyperinflationary problem so that the so-called remedies of the Fed are actually worse than the, than the disease? So that and other very important, uh, timely issues Doug will be opining on at about half past the hour. Dr. Quentin Henning will join me in just a few minutes after our first commercial break to give us an update on a company that is personally my largest allocation in my own account. 
And I'm talking about Novo Resources, one of our sponsors, which has it's discovered a Whitwaters Rand type deposit in northwestern Australia that, it, that Dr. Henning is moving towards production. And I do consider this to be a very undervalued exploration story. So I hope that you'll stick around to hear what Dr. Henning has to say. But right now, we've got Michael Oliver with me after a couple of weeks' absence. It's really good to have you back. Thanks for being with me today, Michael. Great to be back, Jay. Always good to have you. You know, in your in your note to me this morning, you said there are parallels with the 1987 stock market, I guess, prior to the infamous crash. Can you talk to us about that for a bit? Sure. Uh, you know, it's very common in a lot of market letters, and even in the Wall Street Journal, you'll occasionally see it, where a price chart overlay of, of a given market is compared to previous periods in history. And, you know, it looks the same, therefore it's going to turn out the same. And usually that doesn't work. Uh, you know, the, the overlap just it disintegrates. Uh, however, what we did in a weekend report was to analyze the S&P now, uh, not just on a price basis, that's the least important factor. Mm-hmm. It looks very much like 87 on a daily price chart basis. But mm. forgetting that, we dug down, we ran momentum studies of what happened in 87 on the S&P versus the momentum studies now. And quite often momentum, by the way, a lot of people will think that, well, if the price looked the same, therefore the momentum probably looked the same. That's not true because mm-hmm. there's a lot of subtleties in price behavior that could cause different looking momentum trends to emerge. So just because a price chart might look similar to another one doesn't mean the momentum charts would. But lo and behold, they do look the same, huh. very much like in 87. In fact, today's action is, uh, assuming we close where we are last I saw at 20. 363, uh, we're breaking something uh, that we broke in 87. Now, this is not the crash. This was the, the first hard wobble off of the August high of 87. Because mm-hmm. remember, the crash didn't occur till October. Right. Now, I, I, and again, I'm not forecasting a crash. What I'm looking for is a downturn that morphs into a larger downturn. And all I'm looking for right now in our reports is a sufficient sign from intermediate-type momentum trend violations that the S&P is, in fact, breaking down. Mm-hmm. And, again, we don't expect that first break to be anything dramatic, not headlines, but just get us off the high and get the S&P such that next quarter, which is weeks away, uh, we're trading in the 2200s, not the 2300s. Because mm-hmm. if you're in the 2200s next month, next quarter, you're jeopardizing some big stuff, big momentum oh. structures. If they break, you're really in real trouble. Now, mm-hmm. the other thing we noticed was that the T-bond market, mm-hmm. back in 1987, about six months prior to the S&P actually peaking, was in a hard downside move. In other words, rates mm-hmm. were rising, prices of T-bonds were dropping. Uh-huh. And opposite, the S&P said, I don't care about rates, I'm going up. And so oh. up until August of 87, when the market peaked, T-bonds were really coming down. S&P was going up. Total opposites. But then when the T-bonds, they hit a floor. And they hit a floor for, it might have been two months of horizontal action, where they didn't go down anymore. And the S&P, of course, partied during that time. But when that floor broke, and for us, that comparable floor broke a week ago, okay, uh, around the 148 level. That when mm-hmm. that floor broke, that was when the S&P finally began to acknowledge my goodness, rates are going up, and it's serious. It's not something mm. we can dismiss. And mm. it was at that point in late to mid-August of 87 that T-bonds started their second phase of decline, and the S&P started then to pay attention. And so sure enough, here we find ourselves about 40 points off the recent high, the S&P, and we're mm-hmm. starting to pay attention. Uh, what then happened was the bonds just kept going down and down, and I called them 
I called the bond market then, and I call it now the Judas goat, yeah. leading the cattle to slaughter. Um, if T-bonds continue their decline, and we're major bearish on T-bonds, uh, they've broken a lot of long-term momentum trend structures. Uh, we think rates are going up substantially, and it's not because of the Fed. We're talking long-term rates. Um, what should unfold is that we get further T-bond decline in the next month or two, and the S&P really starts to pay heed to it. Mm-hmm. And at some point in early Q2, if the right numbers are hit, the S&P gets hit very hard. And we're, at that point, public recognition will – the public will recognize we've seen the high. Right. And then a vast exit, a massive exit out of the out That's of stocks. That's when the asset class shift really, really heats up, uh, where right. money comes out of stocks and goes into less favored and cheap things like commodities. Right. Uh, so let me understand, Michael. We got this Judas goat, and the Judas goat is a, a goat that's trained and used in general to lead animals, uh, uh, sheep and, and cattle, to slaughter. <laughs> and the cattle, and they follow the Judas goat, and the Judas goat right. survives, but the rest go to yeah. their death. Are you suggesting then that because people sort of say, well, the economy must be doing pretty good, interest rates are rising, everybody sort of mm-hmm. thinks everything's fine, is that it? Mm-hmm. I think that that's the fanciful argument right now is that. Uh, again, forget the quarter point here and there by the Fed over a year or so. That's meaningless. Talking about real-world rates, 10-year notes, uh, 30-year bonds, long-term rates in Europe, which are rising rapidly as well. Um, Those are rates that are determined not by central banks anymore, but by the free market. The market has wrestled control of those markets away from the ECB, away from the Fed. They may play with the overnight rate at the Fed window. That's fine. But the 30-year bond is, is a beast on its own. And uh, that's what we've been watching. And as far right. as I'm concerned, it, yeah, go ahead. All, all right, Michael, we're just with one minute left here. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you're, you're, you're believing that the euro is ready to take off to the upside and the dollar is very weak. How are you looking at the dollar and gold at this moment with, with a minute left? Well, I think that the, the 57% of the dollar index is the euro. Watch the euro, therefore. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't worry about the yen, the Canadian dollar, all that. Don't worry about that. Look at the euro. It's 57% of the dollar index. The euro right now, the euro futures are trading in the 106 and a half area. It's our view that if they close a day out at around 107, and we've, we've been trading up there recently, but not closing a day there, that they're, yeah. they're going to probably launch an up move. If that occurs, the dollar should shift back down through the low of the year which was just above 99, a key level for us. The dollar index breaks the 99 level. As far as we're concerned, it's a major bear. That should further help the gold market. All right. And then go on. You're not really concerned about the gold market at this point, I guess. No, the gold's pulled back as far as we're concerned to an area of support. It's a zone, uh, low 1200s to the high 1100s, to 1190 on up to 1220. Let's call it a zone. And in that area, I expect to see some congestion phase, some basing out action, uh, and probably a decent little rally the next day or two. Uh, I'm not looking for a fireball upside. I'm just looking for it to stabilize. It had a 5% pullback after right. a 12% rally from the right. December low. That's uh, fair enough, yeah. fair enough. Well, we're okay. out of time, unfortunately, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you, Tim. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back again next week. Well, folks, don't go away because Dr. Quentin Henning is coming up right after the break to talk about Novo Resources. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Henning.
Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Foreign is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its three aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on its Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me the president and CEO of Nova Resources, Dr. Quentin Henning. Thanks for joining me again, uh, Quentin. Thank you, Jay. You know, on March 7th, you put out a press release informing investors as to how Novo plans to progress its Beaton's Creek Whitwaters Rand type deposit, as well as its nearby Blue Spec high grade gold and antimony deposit. Uh, can you share the basic content of that March 7th press release uh, with our listeners? Perhaps talk about Beaton's Creek project first, what your plans are for that project going forward, and then after addressing that, perhaps uh, give us an update on the most recent news coming out of the Blue Spec property. Sure thing, Jay. So at Beaton's Creek, um, to give people a little background, we've been moving it towards a gravity-only mine. This would be a, a mine, very simple mine, where we mine the reefs uh, near surface using uh, simple equipment. It's all free dig. Uh, we're mining oxide material that's quite soft. And then we then process that through a gravity mill. That was the uh, uh, original intent. We started this initiative a little over 18 months ago, of course, when the market was very poor in the gold sector. We've advanced the thing considerably since then. We did test mining last year that, that demonstrated 
very good grades or great rec reconciliation, more to the point, that suggests this thing uh, should work like a charm. Now, in the process of doing that trial mining, we did some processing of the material. The 30,000 tons we dug, we processed about a third of it through a small gravity plant to determine the, the grade. This was a, a process that involved crushing the rock down to about, say, fine gravel size, taking out the coarse gold through our, using our gravity recovery equipment, and then analyzing the tailings that came out of it. And one of the steps we did at the very end was to collect a, a composite sample of tailings from that gravity mill. Uh, we, we then subjected those to cyanidation tests. I did it just to see what kind of recoveries we, we might expect from cyanide use, you know, from, from the tailings from the gravity circuit. And the, the results were kind of jaw-dropping. There were several parts to the results that, that just really, really stood out. One was the grade of the tailings came in uh, higher than predicted. So that was a very encouraging. But the, the other aspects uh, relate to the recovery and the uh, amount of cyanide and so forth that was used. So the recovery was, was astounding. It was greater than 97% using cyanide within 12 hours. That tells us that this material can leach very, very easily, very, very quickly. The gold is all free, and it can be recovered uh, virtually, uh, you know, with a half a day using cyanide. That's just kind of astounding. You know, they have to have 8 or 12 leach tanks to give the residents time for material to leach, which, you know, usually leaches on order of a couple of days at least. So this leaches very quickly. The second aspect, the, the grind size. This stuff leaches even at a very coarse grind size of 212 microns, which was the coarsest test we did. We got over 97% recovery again within 12 hours. The next aspect, the, the amount of cyanide and another uh, reagent called lime that we used was very low. The cyanide consumption was only 0.15 kilo per ton, which is quite low. So we stepped back and looked at the results and thought, hmm, let's see how this might impact our plans. We then went back to our process engineer. We discussed the results in context of our plans to build a gravity-only mine and you know, looked at the trade-offs for, for replacing the, the gravity, the complex gravity circuit that we were developing, and actually, quite frankly, virtually had done. We we effectively engineered most of it. Anyway, we've looked at how we could shift the gravity circuit or condense it down to just take out the coarse gold and then bring in cyanide to recover the remaining gold. So we've stepped back, looked at that, and we now have a, I'll call it a 30,000-foot view that it would be much more favorable economics. First of all, the recoveries uh, that we would see would go from about 80% with the gravity-only scenario up to about 98% using cyanide. The second effect is the capital. So much to my surprise, I've got to be frank, much to my surprise, the capital uh, for a similar scale, meaning 2,000 ton a day operation, uh, the capital for a, a cyanide plant versus a gravity only plant is, is only marginally higher. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, the third thing was look, it, it, bottom line, it impacts the MPV on order of, you know, an increase of 60% over what we were predicting with the gravity only plant. Wow. Yeah, so from my perspective, this is one of those no-brainer kind of things. Now, other aspect is that because of the higher recovery, our production goes up. So now we're targeting something that they could produce considerably more gold. You know, basically we're looking at a conventional mine scenario now. You know, both terms of, of mining, the scale of mining, as well as processing using gravity CIL. All right, so the next 
thing I had to look at was the the resource we have. We drilled out a, a, a shallow resource with the aim of building this mine. There's plenty of room for expansion. So I've decided to undertake uh, a program to both enhance the resource, where there's some inferred we can convert to indicated, but also grow that resource in preparation for this additional, you know, this new scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we can look at now is we don't have to just focus on oxide. We can look at the fresh rock as well. Fresh rock is non-refractory. It's, it's easily treatable in a gravity CIL mill. So now we can start taking our blinders off and looking at the bigger picture. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. Is this going to set you back in terms of the timing for production, though, Quentin? And and what about your economics? I know you were planning a PEA sometime this year. It, it look, Dave. To be frank, we had the PEA done. We were waiting on this the last data, and we were going to publish it here shortly. Um, we are not going to back off and look at the cyanide scenario. I'll be mm-hmm. flat out with that. Okay, so that's that's where we're, our mindset is at. The the other thing that um, look. We've um, been looking around at finance. The market was absolutely horrendous late 2015. Kind of picked up last year. Then it went to you know back in the dumper uh, late last year. Even lately, you know, it's kind of kind of touch and go. You know, to be frank, it's difficult to to fund uh, the gravity only while. It, it can be done and done cheaply and so forth. You know, when we take it to people, they look and they say, well, this is not conventional. They want to see CIL in there, okay? Mm-hmm. And now we're moving to what is more conventional. Basically, you know, this this kind of technology is tried and true, well-proven. So, you know, the finance community is going to be more receptive to this than than looking at the gravity only and, you know, scratching their head wondering if we're going to achieve recoveries and all the equipment we're using, if it's going to break down and this and that. This is, uh, in our view, a much easier sell to get the thing financed. So, yes, it will put us back a few months. I'm not talking about a lot of months. We're actually doing the resource work now. Uh, but, you know, say three or four months for resource work, resource upgrade, and then a couple months additional to, to get the um, PEA out on a gravity CIL scenario. So, yes, it is going to take a, a little bit longer, but it's going to produce a much better result. Quentin, what is the possibility of uh, increasing your resource there with the oxides? And, and I guess maybe you're not just limiting yourself to oxides, but clearly they're on the surface cheaper to mine. <clears throat> what is the possibility of increasing your resource from, I believe your oxides are just slightly under 500,000 uh, ounces at this time. Is there a good chance of increasing the resource uh, there at Beaton's Creek? Yeah, our current resource uh, measurement indicated is about 300,000. Our, our inferred adds another 260,000. That's all near surface, you know, within, say, 20 meters of surface. This is very shallow deposits. Yes, in short, we can expand that significantly. We're looking at uh, growing both the oxide and the sulfide. Um, the resource that we published is a, a composite of oxide and sulfide, so bear that in mind. We think we can increase that on the order of you know, 50 or 60% in terms of overall size, uh, fairly easily, cheaply, and quickly. Uh, we also think we can upgrade much of the inferred we have presently to indicated, which would put it into the category of potentially being converted to reserve once we go in that direction. Well, this is really exciting. I think the economics are going to be, they look pretty good before just on the gravity, but now if you can add that uh, carbon and leach process, uh, it, it looks really, really exciting. And I, and I know you have a lot uh, of, uh, of upside potential on the exploration front, but Quentin, with a, just a couple of minutes left, talk to us briefly about blue spec. 
That's sure. a high-grade, uh, structurally controlled deposit, vertically uh, orientated, I believe, and nearby Beaton's Creek. Uh, is there a chance that once you have a mill, a milling operation, that you can also process that material at the it, same mill? Is that a possibility? It, it, parts of the mill could be used for the blue speck, and that's one aspect we're considering. Okay, blue speck is metallurgically much different, but we can crush and grind using the same components on the front end of the mill. Mm-hmm. And yes, there, there could be potential synergy there. So that is one aspect we're considering. There's also lots of water out of blue spec for processing. All right. Can you can you tell us a little bit about, just briefly comment on the results that you published uh, here back sure. on March 7th at blue spec? Uh, and what are your plans for blue, blue spec with about a minute and a half left? Okay. We drilled at blue spec. We drilled several targets. Uh, people can look back through the news releases to see where we focused. We focused around the existing depo- deposits at gold spec and blue spec. All the holes proved uh, that the resources expandable. There's plenty of room. It's wide open. Uh, down plunge down, uh, you know, adjacent to existing resources. So we, we feel very optimistic we can make the thing grow. We did make several new discoveries. There's two targets out east of blue spec in particular that returned very favorable results. You can look back at a news release here in, in the past week and one about four weeks ago that described those results. At blue spec, we feel very confident now we can See, we we see a mine or potential for a uh, deposit that can become a mine, and doing that, you know, in tandem or tandem, we'll call it with Beaton Creek, where we uh, we advance the exploration at Blue Spec, but also bring potential cash flow from Beaton Creek to to look at advancing Blue Spec towards production. That's the overall all strategy. All right, very good. Well, just in summary, then, what should investors be looking for this year uh, as drivers for the share price? Yes, this year uh, we've got got a lot of uh, resource work going on right now. You'll see some results probably in the next few weeks. Uh, and then sometime in about three months, you'll see a resource upgrade, hopefully significant. And then we'll, we'll have that economic study done sometime early quarter three. That'll bring in the CIL component. Uh, we should have very good handle on costs and stuff at that point. We've already got most of the numbers worked out. Um, I think then you'll see... You'll see us move towards production. We have got a lot of permitting stuff already done and you know, it's underway, so you'll see some news around that as well as potentially financing this deposit. Uh, it's really exciting. Uh, you know, it's still my top pick. It's uh, it's the stock that I have um, uh, the largest percentage of my portfolio in, so I'm watching with great anticipation. Quentin, I want to thank you very much for being with us and look forward to keeping up with your story on an ongoing basis. Thank you again for being with us today. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because coming up next, Doug Casey will be with us. He's going to compare the current situation with the 1930s, and he'll also comment on the gold markets and uh, the mining shares. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Doug Casey. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbol NVO and NSRPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, 
improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Our Vista Gold's only asset is the Douay Gold Project, which is located in northern Quebec. The Douay Project currently hosts an NI-43101 resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be the largest undeveloped and independent gold project in Quebec. Our Vista has significant upside potential to further grow its resources and is currently undergoing an extensive 2017 drill campaign. Our Vista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA and on the OTCQB under the Symbol ARVSF. For more information on Arvista, please visit arvistagold.com. Uranium Energy Corps, NYSE Market, UEC, is a leader in the coming bull market in uranium. With spot uranium up more than 40% in two months, the new bull market is just starting. UEC has the cash, the licensed resources, the permitted processing center, the advanced technology, and the experienced team to lead this market. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting uraniumenergy.com. NYSE Market, UEC. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Doug Casey. Doug is a well-known libertarian thinker who is also a prolific writer and best-selling author, and he's also a very successful international investor. He is also a very entertaining speaker with provocative but highly valuable insights and thoughts. You can reach Doug and learn more about him at CaseyResearch.com. But you're not going to want to miss these next few minutes with Doug Casey. Welcome, Doug, and thanks for joining me again. Doug, I'd like to talk to you a little bit today about an article that you recently wrote. I thought it was really quite quite good, actually. It's a, it was comparing the 1930s and today. First of all, thanks to the ongoing propaganda from our major media, most Americans believe that uh, comparing the 1930s today is ridiculous. I mean, the, the idea is that the, the Federal Reserve and its uh, ability to print endless amounts of money guarantees us avoidance of anything like the 1930s. But, of course, some of us that realize that you can't just create money by by printing digits or printing paper, beg to differ with that. And I know that you you certainly don't agree with the notion of printing money to prosperity. But how do you re- respond to that conventional wisdom? What, how, what would you tell you know the average Joe who comes up and says, "Well, that's just really ridiculous, Doug. Uh, we can't go into another depression." Well, yes. First, we want to define what a depression is, and I like to define. Well, there are several good workable definitions of a depression, and usually when people use that term, uh, they they never define. It. They just expect that everybody knows what a depression is. It's kind of like the 1930s, everybody thinks. A depression is a period when most people's standard of living drops significantly, or it can also be a period of time when the business cycle climaxes. Okay, now, where are we? This depression, and I, you know, I've actually got, Jay, I've got to go back further than this. 
Uh-huh. I mean, uh, what I like to look at is the really long-term view. And from that point of view, I'd say Westerns, forget about this greater depression. Yeah. We are not entering upon. Let's go back even further. Western civilization itself, mm-hmm. I think, peaked uh, before World War One, And the civilization, as opposed to the technology, which has been getting better and better, fortunately, and still accelerating, peaked about 1914. And American civilization, I think, peaked in the mid-50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the, the 59 Cadillac and the U.S. was on top of the world, all the skyscrapers, all the airplanes, everything. And I would say that the standard of living of the average American has been going down since about 1971 in real terms. And now, since 2007, I'd say we entered upon what I call the Greater Depression, which is going to be much worse and much different and uh, much longer lasting than the unpleasantness of uh, 1939 to 1946. And there are going to be a lot of differences, which I, I, I guess you hinted at and I was going to talk about. Like, the last depression was a, a catastrophic deflation. Right. Where for a while the dollar became more valuable because the stock market and the bond markets crashed. And, uh, so what happened? The real estate market crashed. Banks went out of business. So a lot of dollars were wiped out. The remaining dollars were worth more. This time, that's still possible, but this time it's likely to be an inflationary depression because of the trillions and trillions of new currency units the U.S. and every other government in the world is creating now. Well, it certainly is true, but on the other hand, I, I, money now is created with debt. So what we're seeing, I know, Doug, is that debt is growing almost exponentially. Debt of all manner uh, is growing exponentially, uh, whereas income, if it's growing at all, and that's debatable, I think, in the United States, depending on how you count inflation, whether real GDP is positive or negative. But assuming it is positive, it's even by the establishment's calculations, it's very it's, it's very negligible. It's 1, 2, 3%, not even 3% during the Obama years. So I'm wondering if there may not be a chance for a replay of that deflation given this massive amount of debt that is choking off growth and choking off the, the standard of living of average people. The average people, we see the wealth being really being, I think, sent up to the 1%, the top one-tenth of 1%. And Doug, I would have no problem with that if that 1% uh, were being legitimately earned instead of through some sort of, uh, say, fascist arrangements where the bankers are basically picking the pocket of anybody that produces anything of value. But do you think deflation, you're not ruling that out, I guess. You're, you're just saying, given the, the ability to print endless amounts of money, you're betting that the politicians will probably find a way to get that into the hands of the masses in exchange for their votes and, and avoid a deflationary uh, depression? Uh, yeah, I think that's likely to be the way it comes down. But you're quite correct, Jay. It's that uh, we could have another catastrophic deflation because all this debt, if it can't be serviced, what happens to the money? It dies and goes to money heaven. It disappears. So uh, that's uh, entirely possible. And, you know, this debt is uh, very, very serious because some people owe it to other people. And uh, the other thing about debt is that when you have positive savings, it means that you're producing more than you consume and you're setting aside the difference. That's what savings are. Sure. But when you have debt, it means that you're consuming more than you're producing and you're borrowing the capital from somebody else 
that's saved it, uh, or you're mortgaging your future, either one. Uh, so that's why debt is really very serious uh, at this point. Well, it seems to me, Doug, that debt is just really, I mean, the creation of money out of debt, which is almost seems to be infinite, is really destroying capital. I mean, David Stockman, I think, made the point, and I mean, anybody that knows anything about economics and free market economics would understand that by not allowing price discovery for capital, you're destroying capitalism. So we have, you know, zero interest rates for prolonged periods of time. How can we, how can this system continue on, Doug, without self-destruction if you can't really have capitalism? It seems to me, would you agree that we're in the process of destroying capitalism through the monetary system? Oh, there's no question, but, you know, capitalism itself is, has become a word without meaning because real capitalism is a a total free market in businesses and uh, it's an unregulated market. Mm -hmm. But uh, today, everything is everything is regulated. Uh, So it's actually a fascist system. One where the state and corporations are hooked up and you just have, uh, you know, like the appearance of capitalism because you can still buy and sell things. So uh, I hate to even use that word Mm-hmm. It's become degraded, like so many words, yeah. uh, that it's used today improperly. For sure. I mean, people on the left side of the political spectrum use capitalism, and they don't, I think they don't have a clue about what capitalism is, real free market capitalism, and so I agree with you there. But, Doug, let's go back to this issue of deflation or inflation and what that might mean in terms of how we invest our money. During the 1930s, deflation was actually a very good time for gold mining companies, for example. And I think perhaps because the cost of getting the gold out of the ground was declining relative to the price of gold. Um, do you agree with that? Would, generally speaking, would you see a deflationary environment good for gold miners? Uh, good question, because I see gold itself as a crisis hedge much more than an inflation hedge per se. But uh, let's talk about the gold mining business for a moment. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, the gold mining business has been very, very good to me. But uh, it's a crappy business. It's a 19th century choo-choo train business. Uh, and even in the 1930s, if you found a gold deposit, you could put it into production mm-hmm. without too much aggravation. Today, you know, it'll take 10 years from the time that you find it. And it's hard enough to find because the world itself is very picked over uh, these days. And after you find it and put it into production, I mean, the taxes are much higher, the environmental and other regulations are much higher, NGOs will make your life miserable, native groups. I mean, it's a horrible low margin business uh, today. So uh, I see the gold mining business as a speculative vehicle, uh, not something you can really invest in. Well, it's interesting to note, though, Doug, when you get a bull market in gold, uh, the shares seem to do very, very well. I mean, I'm looking over the last several cycles. Uh, the TSX S&P Gold Index, for example, rose between 500 and 800 percent over that period, over a period of five years or so. But then suddenly, within a very short period of time, it lost 80 percent of its value. So, and I know talking to your friend Rick Rule and some people up at the Sprott uh, organization up in Toronto recently they were showing talking about this issue and they noted that in fact as long as global GDP is in decline the uh, the money printers will continue to push interest rates real interest rates downward and negative even as they are now so I mean it seems to me 
uh, I know I agree with you completely. It's a crappy business. It's a choo-choo train business, as you call it. And all the things you pointed out, you know, it's getting harder and harder to find good deposits, uh, the more regulation, uh, all the NGOs and native groups and all that stuff. Completely agree with you. And I've been through this business almost as long as you have, Doug. And I know it's painful at times, but it can be extremely rewarding at times. So how do you, how do you figure out that it's time to start lightening up your portfolio and gold shares and putting it somewhere else? What do you well, look for? Well, you were quite correct when you said earlier that, that uh, gold does move in an exaggerated way with the gold price. And the last peak was uh, 2011 when gold was around $1,900 per ounce. And these stocks had really been howling since then. And uh, they bottomed uh, a year ago in, in like January of 2016. And they've come up a lot and they've been meandering around. Put it, let's put it this way. I think we're moving into a new bull market for gold. And this bull market for gold is going to take it way above its past peak. It's going to go considerably over $2,000. And since most of these mining producers have costs of all-in sustaining costs, which is the way they gauge this now, sure. not just cash costs, eh, $800, $900 an ounce, maybe 1000 depends. Uh, it can be a very profitable industry for a while, an mm-hmm. excellent speculative vehicle over the next few years. So, yes, I'm long a lot of gold companies right now, and I'm very bullish on gold and on silver. And, in fact, on most commodities, uh, the grains and the tropical products, and they're all pretty cheap right now since the last bull market peak of commodities in 2011. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Michael Oliver, who we have on this show very frequently, has turned very bullish on uh, on the soft commodities as well. And, uh, you know, believes, sees gold leading the way and uh, the precious metals, sees silver outperforming gold. I guess you may see it that way as well in a bull market. Uh, very likely because silver is a much smaller market than gold. It doesn't have you know, all the gold that's ever been mined is still above ground. That's not true of silver. Uh, and uh, it's a much smaller market. That makes it much more volatile. It's kind of a poor man's gold. So when the average guy gets a bit in his teeth and gets afraid of inflation, yeah, he'll tend to buy silver more than gold. Yeah, so I, I, I and it's a, you know, it's got, like gold, it's got new industrial uses every day. They're both high-tech metals, uh, which a lot of people don't realize and don't think about. So, yeah, very bullish on silver. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about your book, The Speculator, because it ties in with gold, gold share, investing, and so forth. Tell our listeners a little bit about your your book, Doug. I know I have a copy of it in front of me here. It's a 420-page read. Very interesting read, very colorful. Uh, you're putting your skills together uh, to, to, to really paint a picture of what this industry is all about. Talk to us a little bit about The Speculator and maybe whet the appetite of people to buy the book. Tell us a little bit about it so uh, so people go out and buy it. Well, of course, every author wants every person to buy his book. So <laughs> <laughs> goes without saying. But Speculator uh, actually is an excellent book. It's a novel uh, that traces our hero, Charles Knight, who starts out as a 23-year-old who gets lucky, makes a lot of money on a gold mining stock, and goes to Africa to check it out, to see if it's real. He finds that it's a gigantic fraud, and then gets involved with a, an African revolution with boy soldiers and all the rest of that. <laughs> so it's uh, the book is uh, I intended it as a an education in speculative 
uh, techniques, uh, basic economics, the gold mining industry, African politics, and a whole bunch of things. So it's, it goes into all that stuff. But it's the first of a, a series of seven books that uh, are intended to show, as uh, our hero Charles Knight reforms, the reputations of unjustly besmirched, highly politically incorrect occupations. Mm-hmm. So in the one that's coming out this July, Speculator came out uh, last July, uh, he, it's called Drug Lord, where Charles becomes a drug lord, and we explain the drug business, legal and illegal, uh, morality, the techniques, the effects, everything. And then uh, next July, after this one, uh, after uh, the government steals all the money he makes in the drug business again, uh, and puts him in jail, uh, not to reveal too much of a plot, uh, he becomes an assassin, where we talk about the, the history of assassinations and the techniques, and more importantly, uh, in many ways, the morality of killing people that just need killing. And then it wraps up to the next one after that. Where, but these things become more radical as time goes on. So let's say that speculator is an easy um, uh, gateway drug to uh, the subsequent novels. Well, very interesting. Uh, it's, so it should be a fun read, uh, Dog. I believe a very interesting fun read, but also uh, the speculator looks like it might actually be practical novel in the sense that it might help people who aren't uh, as, uh, you know, haven't spent as much time in this industry as you and I have to sort of understand or get a sense of what the risks are in this industry? Yes, because, listen, reading a book on geology or a book on, on uh, economics or the theory of speculation, a nonfiction book is hard work, but this book is easy and fun to read, and you're going to absorb hundreds of pieces of important data. That's why people should read it. It's available at Amazon, or, or they can get a, a signed by both me and my co-author, John Hunt, who's a medical doctor who, like a lot of medical doctors, is getting tired of practicing medicine. Sure. So uh, we're doing these things together. Uh, they can go to highgroundbooks.com and get a, 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 high, get a hardback copy that's autographed by both of us or they can get a softback on Amazon either one all right well I recommend that people do that uh, I think a, <clears throat> definitely a, a very enjoyable read and an educational read Doug with the time I have left I'd like to get in a little bit have you talk a little bit about what's transpiring down in Argentina I know that you've it, you live down there a good part of your uh, of your time uh, you have put together a wonderful uh, investment uh, property down there for people to uh, people to go to. It's a, a really a uh, I would say a, like a five star residential place that gives people a sort of a secluded uh, lifestyle. I, I would say in some ways uh, in uh, northern Argentina. Talk to us a little bit about about that. Uh, about that project that you've been involved with over the last number of years, as well as uh, Argentinian politics, which I understand have improved uh, for free market folks. Ah, yes. Uh, Argentina has had a major turnaround in the last year with the election of their new president, Mauricio Macri. And I would say that he is probably the best guy running any nation state in the world, any country in the world. 
I mean, this isn't to say that, you know, I mean, he's uh, like John Galt or something. He's not, but he's, he's really better than anybody else. And he's made a lot of changes in this country that are very, very favorable. And it's uh, been a help. Our, I started this resort down here. It's uh, in the grape-growing region of uh, northwest Argentina. So we're surrounded by grapevine mountains, and it's very beautiful. But we're in the middle of nowhere. You can ride your horse for days in any direction and not see the human being once you get there. But uh, we have everything that a civilized person might possibly want uh, in a small town with a beautiful plaza in the middle. And that's why I built it down there, because I'm afraid in the U.S., Politics have become so viscerally hateful, where people are lined up against each other. Uh, this is like a, a prelude to a civil war yes. in the U.S. Very serious. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. And uh, so I'd like to ask you a little bit about how you plan to, or how your estate down there, your um, your residential area that uh, people can go and invest in and live in, how they might be safer. Uh, certainly, I guess, maybe just living in another country. I mean, we're at ground zero here in America. I live in New York and I agree with you completely. I've never seen such division and such hatred uh, over issues that well, I think it's, you know, they're, they're very important fundamental issues about government, what you believe government should and, or shouldn't do. Uh, and it seems as though the majority of folks here think that government should do endless amounts of things, almost playing God, uh, replacing God in some ways, I suppose, in the minds of many people. And I know that you don't agree with government doing much of anything. In fact, if you had your way, there would be no government. And your estate down there, your quarters that you've put together for, for people to live, uh, is a wonderful place. I've been there. It's beautiful. I wasn't there before it's finished. I presume it's a lot nicer now than it was when I was there. But um, Doug, we're hearing about cashless societies. We're hearing about increased government control of our lives in every which way. Are you hopeful that somehow Argentina and especially at your uh, at your residence down there, you can avoid that? That you can live relatively free? That's always been your goal, I know. Well, look, when you buy a house down here, and uh, people really should come down and visit us. In fact, Jay, you should be living down here too because you know you've got dry sunshine cool nights uh 330 days of the year i mean we've got one of the best gymnasiums and spas anywhere in the world frank quite frankly and the golf course and the polo field and the riding trails and the food and all this type of thing uh this is this is listen you should be down here you don't have to be up to the market at this point uh anybody that's in a position to, uh, but you know, you've got to diversify your assets. Everybody does, yeah. internationally and politically, because your big risk, as serious as the market risks are, and they're really serious today. Your biggest risk is a political risk. It's what your government will do to you. And uh, it may be impossible in the years to come to diversify outside of the U.S. Uh, and uh, not, you won't be able to have a crib someplace else in the world. Mm-hmm. Unless you're power, so. Yeah, well, I could definitely see that, that, uh, that happening. So I guess your message is uh, get out while the getting's good or at least diversify with it while you're able to do so. You know, I'd like to get your opinion here with the next, uh, I guess we have five minutes or so left here yet, uh, Doug, but uh, with respect to Donald Trump, um, quite a character he is, and uh, boy, he's, he's really uh, shown some great intestinal fortitude the way he handles the establishment. I kind of wonder if he's not asking uh, for some big trouble. But in any event, um, David,
David Stockman, is, uh, we, who we have on this show from time to time, has talked about how Trump has a place, he sees, a useful place, in terms of sort of upsetting the, the apple cart, as it were. You know, he, he sees Trump as, as intensifying this sort of dissension and, and um, uh, conflict that you were just alluding to and talking about in America. Uh, and I think that uh, Stockman sort of sees, uh, well, just read a quote from David. He said, uh, still this emerging White House train wreck is entirely welcome. As we have said all along, Trump's job is not to enact phony cures. We've had those for decades. He has been chosen by the fates to by the fates to be the great dis- disruptor and to bring the system to a crashing halt and America's fantasy land dwellers to a rude awakening. End of quote. What What's your response to uh, David's idea that perhaps Trump has a useful place in bringing the existing evil system down uh, and a chance to build up something better? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, although I have mixed feelings about Trump because he's not a, a libertarian, he's an authoritarian, but he's an authoritarian that has a but because he's a businessman also, he has some intelligent, commonsensical ideas. So, and, and the nice thing about him, uh, which is what Stockman was saying, is that he's acted as a catalyst. He's crystallizing the differences between different types of uh, Americans, the Americans that are socialists at heart and cupcakes and uh, this type of thing, and traditional, you know, kind of solid uh, Americans. And they hate each other at this point. And uh, I don't know where this is going to end, uh, except that if the economy collapses this year or next year, and it's way overdue for uh, uh, rolling down the hill, uh, Trump is going to be blamed for it. Uh, even though it's the consequence of many years of, of mistakes. And I'm afraid if he's blamed for it, and since he's vaguely associated with capitalism and, and traditional America, uh, that's going to leave the way open for a real leftist dictator-type person uh, in 2016. So this is a very, very dangerous time for the U.S. Uh, this is the most dangerous time for the U.S., since 1860. Yeah, I, I could. Uh, that's uh, re- sort of a um, uh, internal conflict that is really brewing. There's no question about it. I, I and, and people are just becoming totally illogical in, in their arguments. They're not even listening. They're not even thinking. And they're not allowing free speech on campuses. Everything. It's just everything America stood for is seems to be basically being thrown out by uh, by the left side of the political spectrum. I think you meant that 2018 or 2017, 2018. I guess is really, oh. as you say, is really the disaster. Yeah. The time that we have to be worried about, right? Right now, in and fact. The next, ele- the next election is 2020, excuse me. Yeah. I'm thinking 2016, I meant 2020. Right, exactly. Well, and any time now. I mean, this equity market's been, uh, I think, artificially held up for so long with easy money, cheap money. Uh, let me ask you, Doug, with respect to interest rates, have a, I mean, we've many of us have been thinking that rates have got to start rising sometime. Um, and yet, you know, the, the likes of um, Lawrence Summers and some of these people, they believe that we should continue to push forward negative rates and then, if need be, of course, go to a cashless society. Not need be, they're planning to go in that direction. Do you have fears of a cashless society and how will we cope with that? Yeah, well, Lawrence Summers and uh, people like that and Soros and so forth, I I, I mean, he's a genuine criminal personality, uh, quite frankly. Sure. And cash is vital to the privacy uh, of any individual. If If you cannot use cash, that means everything has to go in electronic 
credits through a bank, and they know exactly what you're doing, and they can control everything, including freezing your account. It's one of the things I like about this country is that you even buy a million-dollar house down here. Chances are it's done with cash, <laughs> like a briefcase full of stuff. So uh, I, I like that, but the, the the trend towards the cashless society is a real potential disaster. And, and these low interest rates are very destructive for the average guy because the average guy tries to save and get ahead. And what does he have to do? You save in dollars. But the dollars are losing value rapidly, and you can't get any interest on the dollars. Meanwhile, the rich guys are taking advantage of asset prices, which are being bulled up by all this. Uh, that's why the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the gala, we were, you know, as you pointed out, you said something like 1971 is when the average guy stopped or when it was about as egalitarian as we've ever had it, the average person, a strong middle class we had, until, of course, 1971 was the year that Nixon took us off the international gold standard. Money was created, and the people that controlled and, and printed the money and controlled the money in government and so forth have been, I think, picking the pockets of average working stiffs, right? Uh, absolutely correct. And I don't know how the average guy out there feels about all of this, or if the average guy even understands exactly what's happening or knows what to do about it. So I'm afraid that the average guy is going to be blindsided when the economy takes a big, when it really heads down, I think this year, but yeah. certainly no year than next year. Uh, gee, this is... I think it's going to be very scary, quite frankly. Oh, I'm afraid you're right, Doug, and I'm afraid we're basically out of time. One, one quick question then. If we have a hyperinflation, it seems to me owning gold, owning silver, owning tangibles is the thing to do. Uh, if we're going into a deflationary depression, what do we do then? Then I guess ideally cash would grow in value, but do you think the authoritarians will allow that to happen? And what should well, the average yeah. person do? Diversify, you suggested? Absolutely. Well, the problem is is that cash, I mean $100 bills or 20s, mm -hmm. these are an unsecured liability of a bankrupt government. Right. So I think whether we have a hyperinflation or whether it's a, a deflation, the answer lies in gold and silver coins in your own possession because uh, gold and, and silver, it's the only financial asset that's not simultaneously somebody else's liability. So whether it's uh, inflation or deflation, uh, you've got to have a significant part of your savings in those metals. Of course, as you say, um, you know, politics or the, the political system is the biggest issue because it was during, I guess, the French Revolution in which people that owned silver were or owned gold were beheaded, essentially, I believe, at least well, those that tried... Those that tried to use gold. So so even if we have gold, Doug, and we have the wrong government, it might not work. Yeah, there's no way out. So you want to keep your purchases of uh, the metals uh, quiet, keep them private. And uh, it's a funny thing. You talk about the, the French Revolution. Uh, I would have been all for the revolution overthrowing uh, Louis says. The only problem is, is that it was good to get rid of uh, that corrupt monarchy, but then it got worse with Robespierre. Yeah. And that's the terror. And then it got worse 
with Napoleon. And, and that's what generally happens after revolutions. The same thing happened when they overthrew uh, Tsar Nicholas II in, in Russia in 1917. Yeah. It got worse with Lenin, and then it got much worse with Stalin. That's what happens after revolutions. Wow. So you have to be really afraid. Well, I guess uh, really afraid and move to uh, move to your resort down there, Doug, I guess. Uh, but in any event, it's, it's certainly an option for people that have the wherewithal. I want to thank you very much, Doug. We're out of time. I hope we can do this again. It's really fun. Always great to talk to you. Jay, I look forward to it as well. Thank you. Well, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, uh, Peter Grandich will be with me. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. DynaCert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its three aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on a Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. Our Vista Gold's only asset is the Douay Gold Project, which is located in northern Quebec. The Douay Project currently hosts an NI43101 resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be the largest undeveloped and independent gold project in Quebec. Our Vista has significant upside potential to further grow its resources and is currently undergoing an extensive 2017 drill campaign. Our Vista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA and on the OTCQB under the symbol ARVSF. For more information on Arvista, please visit arvistagold.com.